Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. This well-known quote is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, who lived in the 12th and 13th century. He was an Italian friar and deacon and preacher. And you may be most familiar with St. Francis from paintings and statues where he's depicted holding birds in his hand and surrounded by animals. He's at one and at peace with all of God's creation. St. Francis didn't utter those exact words, actually. But it's in his spirit, and what he did say was this. As for me, I desire this privilege from the Lord, that never may I have any privilege from man except to do reverence to all and to convert the world by obedience to the holy rule rather by example than by word. The holy rule. From our passage from James this morning, we learn what the holy rule is. He calls it the royal law, which is love. And more specifically, it's to show no partiality, but to love your neighbor as yourself. As we consider our gospel story today, we may wish to focus more on Jesus' actions than his words. He just called a woman a dog. And in case you have in mind your own beloved, lovable pet at home, who's very much a part of your family, who may even have a place at your dinner table next to the messiest eater, get that thought out of your mind. In these days, in antiquity, dogs were not kept as pets, but they were considered filthy and unclean. They ate dead things. Jesus' words to this woman was quite an insult. The Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile, is not a member of the chosen people, the house of Israel. As a Gentile, she's considered unclean and an outcast by the Jews, not to be touched or to come close to or to associate with at all, if you are Jewish, as Jesus was. And add to the fact that she's a woman, certainly a second-class citizen at best. So she's a complete outsider. And knowing this and hearing that this miracle worker who does healings is in the neighborhood, desperate to help her daughter, she runs to find Jesus where he is staying and audaciously enters the house and falls at his feet, begging him to cast out the demon from her daughter. The children have to be fed first, he says. It's not right to take their bread and throw it to the dogs. Persistent, relentless in her pursuit to help her suffering daughter, she rises in spirit to this challenge. Lord, even the dogs get to eat the children's scraps, she says. So did Jesus really say this? The Jesus that we love to believe is more divine than human and always kind? Biblical scholar Ron Allen invites us to consider that 
it may not have been the historical Jesus who said this, but that the author of Mark inserted this into the script to teach his audience then and us today an important lesson about the realm of God. To Mark's Gentile audience, this woman so boldly comes forth and engages in a good Jewish-style argument that his Jewish audience would have recognized. She's in dialogue with this rabbi from God named Jesus, and she does, as Alan points out, what Jews do when they are at their best. They argue with God when the current state of things is unacceptable or objectionable, like Jacob wrestling with God, like Moses arguing with God. And if this Gentile woman can behave in this Jewish way, she's showing worthiness of being included in the realm of God, which goes beyond the Jews. After Jesus' death and resurrection, his followers formed congregations much like ours, small ones. They met in homes. These were called the early churches. They lived in community as the beloved community, the kind of community Jesus lived and taught, where all were welcome. He ate with sinners. He went into the homes of outcasts. And these early church communities gathered together, and they made sure that everyone who had a need got that, met, that need met. For if anyone did not have the basic need of food, shelter, and clothing met, how could they best live out Christ's love in the world? They removed the anxiety of their fellows who were in need by feeding and clothing and sharing their goods with one another. They welcomed all, helped all, included all. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture, the culture of the world, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. And unlike the world's culture around you, which drags you down to its low level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Now that's from the message version of the Bible. The letter we heard from James is addressing, it seems, a congregation, a church, that seems to have grown complacent in their walk as disciples of Christ. They live in the world as we do, and they have begun to be conformed to it, living more like kingdom of the world people than realm of God people, it seems. So James calls them to re-examine their lives, to look in the mirror, so to speak, and to discern whether they see Jesus when they look in the mirror, or do they see an anxious soul that is preoccupied with the, the world's rule of get ahead, amass wealth, get stuff, Strive for the esteem of others and even for the envy of your neighbors. All of those things will make you feel safe and secure. Well, the world wants us to strive for things all about ourselves. The welfare of the individual rather than the well-being of the whole community. 
As Jesus said to the religious folks of his day, quoting Isaiah, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Their worship of me is empty, since they teach instructions that are human rules. So we get a window into this congregation that James is writing to, how they've fallen away from the path of God. And it sounds like they're playing favorites, giving honor and attention to the wealthy or those the world calls important, perhaps because they think it will surely benefit them. All the while, the poor and the powerless who are in their midst, who lack the basic needs for living, become invisible to them or only receive from this church a a well-wish and hope, hope you'll be okay. And they send them away with no food or clothing. So James writes to this church to remind them that faith is dead if it does not result in faithful works of loving kindness. The kingdom of the world teaches us to bow down to power if it means keeping our security intact, keeping the status quo, especially if we're enjoying ease and comfort under it. But the realm of God overturns the world's empty promise and instead calls us to speak truth to power, to build up God's beloved human family, to bring justice where there is oppression, peace where there is violence, and equality where some have and some go without, and bring healing wherever there is pain and brokenness. So the Syrophoenician woman teaches us. She sees in Jesus the power of a loving God who can heal. And though the culture of her day would silence her, She challenges the power before her, even the authority of Jesus Christ himself. She claims her spot in the family of God, speaking truth to power with the power of love. She does not cower. She does not leave. She begs for what is good and what is right, for the love of her child, for the sake of bringing healing. And Jesus hears her. And he opens. And if he failed yet to fully understand the scope of God's mission for him, this Gentile, this outcast woman, enlightens him some more about his call. And with a word, he blesses her for her faith and heals her daughter, teaching the Jews and Gentiles at the scene, those in Mark's audience and us today, that all people belong to God's family, that all are God's beloved children and worthy of wholeness. Samantha Smith lived a very short life of just 13 years, but she left her mark on the world forever. In November of 1982, when Samantha was just 10 years old, she wrote to Soviet leader Yuri Andropov, seeking to understand why the relations between the Soviet Union and the United States were so tense during that Cold War era. She writes, Dear Mr. Andropov, my name is Samantha Smith. I am 10 years old. Congratulations on your new job. I've been worrying about Russia and the United States getting into nuclear war 
Are you going to vote to have a war or not? If you aren't, please tell me how you are going to help not have a war. This question you do not have to answer, but I would like to know why you want to conquer the world, or at least our country. God made the world for us to live together in peace and not to fight. Sincerely, Samantha Smith. Samantha's letter was published by the Soviet newspaper. She was happy to discover this. However, she had not yet received a reply. So she sent a letter to the Soviet Union's ambassador to the United States asking if Mr. Andropov intended to respond. And in April of 1983, she received his response. And in part, he writes to her, It seems to me you are a courageous and honest girl. Your question is the most important of those of every thinking human. In America and in our country, there are nuclear weapons, terrible weapons that can kill millions of people in an instant. But we do not want them to ever be used. And then he invited her and her family to visit Russia and he wished her well in her young life. Samantha and her family were able to visit Russia, and she visited a youth camp where she made lasting friends. She was toured around and she made lasting friends with old and young alike. Samantha's life was taken young. She died in a plane crash at the age of 13, but her legacy continues. Monuments in Russia and the U.S. are in her name across our country. And across the world, asteroids have been named after her. Ocean liners, schools, concertos. In 2008, Samantha Smith posthumously received the Peace Abbey Courage of Conscience Award for helping to bring about better understanding between the peoples of the U.S. and Russia and as a result, to help reduce the tensions between these superpowers. Preach the gospel. When necessary, use words. The works of faith are necessary, absolutely, to help further God's realm. And at times, so are words. Samantha Smith, the Syrophoenician woman, would not keep silent in the face of human suffering, human fear, potential violence. They both spoke truth to power with the power of love. Samantha did not keep silent for the sake of world peace, not just her own. And all who feared the terror and insanity of war, the Syrophoenician woman did not keep silent when her own were suffering. How about us? How is God calling you and me to act and to speak today? To not bow down to the powers of the world, but with the power of love, bow before God who empowers us to speak truth to power. We should not ever have to hear the sound of deadly gunfire in our workplaces. or in our schools, 
our churches, the public places where communities gather to have fun and enjoy life together, both friend and stranger. In the wake of the tragedy of last Thursday morning here in Cincinnati, we grieve the senseless loss of life, and many of us are burdened and confused by what to do to help stop the epidemic of violence in our nation. How can we speak truth to power with the law of love to help advocate for sensible gun laws, for the welfare of the whole human family, not just for the welfare of a few? Paul writes to the church at Corinth, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets glory, all the parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ, he writes, and each of you are part of one another. Friends, we are that body. And Sundays when we gather here to be built up in God's love, we come to have our faith nurtured by the Spirit, to give third graders their Bibles as we did at the 9 o'clock service, to baptize our babies as we did today, to remember our own Bibles at home and to, to seek to open them, to remember our own baptisms and our yes to dying to self but living for God. We attend Sunday school and faith formation class. We gather here as we did last night for Knox Rocks and open our doors to the community for true fun and fellowship. We'll gather as a church family and community for a picnic we come here, but we are not called to stay here. At the end of this hour and every Sunday, we are sent out into the world by our God of love, who we are equipped by with what James calls the law of liberty, the law of love which is written on our hearts. We have this gift within us, the light of Christ, and we are equipped to go out and act and speak in all the ways that God would use your particular gifts, your particular voice, to help build up God's love and reduce suffering in the world. Living out our faith in loving works and words is our call today. And friends, Christ gives us courage and shows us how. And God promises to be with us every step of the way. Thanks be to God.